Hi everyone and welcome to Bridging the Gap. I'm your host, Kelly LaBelle, and in this week we're joined by our expert guest, Sarah potler Lahan. She's going to be discussing with us non-traditional learning and exploring creative learning techniques to integrate into our education. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Move This World. Her company, Move This World, equips leaders with a set of evidence-based creative tools to manage daily stress and give people skills to collaborate and support one another to succeed. The organization has equipped over 150,000 individuals across school districts and organizations with tools to strengthen their mental and emotional well-being. I'm so pleased to have Sarah with us today. Sarah, do you mind starting us off by sharing a little bit about how you got started in your journey? Because your journey is a perfect example of one of non-traditional learning and creative techniques. Sure. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, it's a pleasure to be sharing more about Move This World with you. Um, I have a background first as a dancer and an artist. I am the daughter of a dancer. Um, my mom is still dancing. Um, she's still, last night, I was walking home from my dance class and I called her and she was uh, driving home from her dance class. Um, somewhere else far away, but we still share that um, passion for movement and expression. And my father is a songwriter and singer and still to this day writes music for every family function. So for birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, he writes a song and my sister and my dad and I sing it. We're the Potler family trio. So I grew up in a home where creative expression was how we interacted with one another, how we expressed our love for one another, um, and always had an internal struggle between a career in dance, musical theater, the arts, and education, and wanting to change the world. And uh, fast forward, um, through a Fulbright scholarship in Bogota, Colombia, was able to find a way to combine these passions. And so I saw the way my Fulbright research team was going about cultivating empathy and nonviolence in schools, but they were going at it through a very cerebral approach where uh, teachers were standing behind desks and lecturing about emotional identification and management, and kids were slouched in their chairs looking at their watches, bored, but at the same time, they were all dancing to reggaeton music in the schoolyard in this fun, inclusive, participatory environment. And that's when I thought, how can we use this vehicle of dance and movement and expression, one that's so personal to me, to cultivate the same evidence-based social, emotional, and civic skills that we were developing through this Fulbright framework. So that's when I authored the first iteration of the Move This World curriculum um, in Bogota, Colombia in 2007. And today, we are a global organization that has equipped over 150,000 individuals with a set of digital tools to strengthen mental, emotional, and social well-being to create environments where we can all thrive and reach our full potential. That is incredible. And I resonate with that with so much. I've actually been a competitive dancer for 13 years. I started at three, so I share your love uh, for dance. And um, I also found, though, that it's actually, I didn't know it at the time, but dance actually prepared me a lot for entrepreneurship and gave me a lot of transferable skills that weren't very obvious at first. For instance, um, I because I would go to, I would start dance at, after 
before five o'clock, I would have I would get home from school and have half an hour to get all my homework done because I would be dancing till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and I wouldn't have time to do it. So it taught me how to kind of be organized and a work ethic that normally I think I probably wouldn't have <laughs> adapted so quickly. Do you find that that um, that dance or that they that, that they provided you with uh, skills that you apply now? Absolutely. And it's funny, the timeliness of this um, question. Last night, I was actually at a dance class with one of my colleagues. And um, it's a pretty intense class. And the teacher is um, equal parts terrifying and revered. And we were laughing as we were leaving the class. What is it about the energy of this, this dance educator where you know, she commands the total reverence and like attention of the entire room. We're all terrified of her. No one's speaking when she's speaking. We don't move when she's demonstrating. But we also um, crave her feedback and her attention. And I think that um, one of the most important skills that dance has taught me is um, not only hard work, more specific than hard work, but humility, and that there's always room for development. There's always room for growth. You are never uh, the best. You are never your top performing self. There's always further that you can go and further that you can reach, and never being satisfied or complacent with your current level um, of either performance or ability and always reaching higher. I think that's an interesting thought and, and one particularly I think in today's world is so prevalent or or needed to have that perspective because um, we're facing a time where uh, young professionals are coming out of school and oftentimes within two years the, the, the job that they had majored in has completely done a 360. And now sometimes their skills, they have to go back and, re and get new skills or um, enter into an industry that didn't even exist when they first started school. So being able to um, adapt and kind of stay, like you said, at kind of the top of your game and understanding that all because you've achieved a certain level of, uh, of kind of achievement within your industry or um, skill or sector that it, things change so quickly that you always got to keep improving and, and learning and growing in some sense. Absolutely. And, and never being complacent. So, um, I mean, there's many points when I think organizationally for Move This World where uh, it would have been much easier for me to say, okay, we've got this now. We're comfortable. We can do this. We're rocking and rolling. And every time I've reached that point, there's been further reflection that has pushed us to um, further refine how we achieve our goals. And looking at that, so when you had, because Move This World has, um, you've, you've had an incredible impact so far, um, over 150,000 individuals. Um, so can you walk me through a little bit further in terms of, so you have, from ideation to where you are now, what was kind of, in that journey, was there a specific kind of um, pivot point or moment that kind of, looking back, was, was kind of critical in, in your success? 
There have been uh, multiple pivot points throughout the last almost uh, 10 years that I personally have been dedicated to this work and six years that we've been uh, an organization delivering this work. And each of those moments has been the result of thoughtful reflection and feedback from our partners and listening to them about how we can best cultivate emotional well-being in a way that's accessible. Um, so when I first started, I had no intention of launching an organization. I have a background more from the programmatic um, lens, not, not necessarily as a CEO. And uh, we began doing the work through direct service. So um, myself and then eventually others facilitating our curriculum directly with young people. But then we soon realized that, one, that work wouldn't be scalable, so we would never reach a million students by recruiting, training, and hiring and supporting 250,000 facilitators. And we would never be better classroom teachers than the classroom teachers who know their students best. What we could do best was support those teachers with tools to bring care and compassion and creativity to the forefront of their classrooms. So we then pivoted to train teachers through a train-the-trainer model and supporting them with tools to address the emotional wellness of their students. And we heard from teachers, this is great, we are inspired, we are motivated, we understand the importance of culture building work, but now what? You leave the building and we don't have anything to implement with our students. So then we went back and said, how can we distill and break down and kernelize this pre-K through 12th grade curriculum that we had developed. And so we then broke it out into these bite-sized videos that teachers could implement with ease to begin and end the school day. So that has really evolved our work to be direct service, student-facing, to an e-learning platform that opens up the possibilities for educators anywhere in the world to ritualize a practice of mental and emotional well-being. It's so interesting to kind of learn of the journey of kind of where an idea goes to how it evolves because um, very much so you started off kind of from um, when in the initial stages, even in this conversation, we talked from a, a dance and a movement perspective and then um, kind of go full circle into now e-learning and how each of that's interconnected and how well one idea and passion um, can have many forms. Uh, how did you, what is your perspective on that in terms of um, being flexible and able to adapt as an entrepreneur? How important has that been for you um, it, it, with Move This World? It's been critical, Kelly, because um, I am not an engineer. I'm not, I don't have a background in computer science. I'm not even the most tech-savvy person on my team. I'm probably the least tech-savvy person. Um, my background comes from... Um, a deep desire to transform communities, to build connections, to create authentic spaces where people can express themselves in meaningful ways. And through almost 10 years of implementing, of research, of development, realizing the best way to actualize that vision is through technology. Um, 
felt a little bit like killing the sacred cow because I love the in-person direct service work, but I'm willing to adjust and recalibrate and um, find other ways to fulfill those pieces of myself through this organization and outside of this organization so that we can reach the vision that has remained constant from day one, and that is what's been most important. Yeah, I, I really like that in the sense that when when our ideas evolve, as long as we stay true to that passion, um, understanding that technology isn't necessarily needs to be the solution. It can just be a medium, like you said. It's just a means to get to the innovation or to the end vision, not necessarily having to convert to making that your vision, so to speak. Uh, and I think if you keep that perspective uh, it, as an entrepreneur, you're able to uh, withstand kind of the, the all the, the I, I almost kind of view it like you're in an ocean with all the waves and they can push you in so many different directions as long as you have that that passion, you have your little anchor that keeps you kind of yeah. in the water. <laughs> um, yeah, I love it, that. And it's, it's even similar to the metaphor I use when thinking about um, emotional well-being. I often say it's like surfing and you're in the ocean and the emotions are, um, you know, riding all around you or through you in waves, but it's our job as surfers to ride those emotions and to navigate them and move through them and not allow one wave or one emotion to overtake us. With that in mind and with well-being, uh, why do you feel it's important to look outside the box and find more creative tools for youth today? Well, first, it's important to recognize that we don't all learn the same way. So even if we look around us, the people in our lives, we know the people with whom uh, it's more effective to communicate via text message or via email. Um, we know that some of us are audio learners. Some of us are visual learners. And so if we are... Um, helping youth learn in the same way. We're not opening up the possibilities for all kinds of learners to engage in, um, in new ways of thinking and operating. And so we know that we also need to use these other modalities to spark curiosity, to pique students' interest, that we're not all interested in the same subject. So if we can use different methods and subject areas to get students engaged, to get them excited to come to school, to collaborate with their fellow students, to want to raise their hand and express what they're thinking and feeling, then we are further along toward creating an environment where all kinds of learners can succeed. And for those that are, for our listeners out there, um, Move This World does very much that. Um, it equips leaders with a set of evidence-based, developmentally aligned, creative tools to ritualize and practice building social and emotional well-being. And uh, Sarah, in her pre-interview, explained some of the ways they do that through um, in, uh, uh, interactive learning, um, showing videos within the classroom, and, and incorporating dance and other ways of um, fostering that well-being, in, in, in with, which is, I think, in a lot of sense, a great example of some of these creative tools in which would apply to different learning sets. When we think about learning, um, 
right now, traditionally, if you go kind of to a textbook learning style, I think we're only going to be reaching about a quarter of the types of learners because you have kinetic learners who will learn like Sarah and, and myself probably from our dance backgrounds of movement and activity and we have visual learners who would probably benefit from the video versions and um, e-learning solutions and then you have um, auditory learners as well who need that music and um, need to listen rather than read so uh, I definitely feel you're right in that sense that we need to start to consider who the different colors of learners in our classrooms. In terms of youth getting access to these new and innovative learning solutions, uh, do you feel that there's any barriers right now? Uh, absolutely, and we are working every day to help um, break those barriers down and or coexist and work alongside of them. Um, so the first is that when we think about new and innovative learning, it often requires change. And we as a collective um, society are often resistant to change. Change is scary. Um, there's fear involved. Um, I don't know what's on the other side. And for adults who are working in schools, many of them may not have asked themselves the questions that we are asking teachers and students to ask themselves, like how am I feeling and where am I struggling and what are my hopes and dreams and what intentions and goals do I have and what's getting in my way from uh, realizing those dreams. And so if we have never asked ourselves those questions and we are uncomfortable um, asking them ourselves, there may be resistance to inviting these new questions and new ways of thinking um, for the students um, with whom we work. So one barrier is the, the change that is required and the act of being in an uncomfortable place and not knowing how to sit in that discomfort. And then the second barrier um, is the need for um, authentic ambassadors at every level, including the top. So whether that's in the district level, um, administrators, parents and families, at the policy level, how can we ensure that we're not staying and remaining in the status quo, that we're continuing to push forward and ask ourselves difficult questions, that we're embracing every kind of learner, and that when we evaluate our success and the success of our students, that there are measures involved that include those other kinds of learners and the other um, traits and skills that we are cultivating outside of core academic gains. So the second is just the need for authentic ambassadors at every level. And building on that, um, do you have any examples of techniques that um, have helped you succeed in overcoming those barriers? Sure. Um, so with regard to the authentic ambassadors, one thing that we have seen is the power of sharing our data and sharing our success. So when we are able to show um, someone who is resistant to this work the pre and post data that shows not just an increase in community level outcomes but in individual behavior 
through the part of uh, educators and students, there's no denying the efficacy of the work. And so we allow the data to speak for itself. We share the research and the science that undermines and upholds um, the pedagogy and the way that we go about delivering these tools. And so sharing the data and the research has been very effective. And then the other piece with regard to um, allowing people to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, we often use elements of positive psychology. So, for example, in a school where there may be 40 adults in the building, there may be, um, you know, five or so who are resistant, who are disengaged, who have questions about why this matters and why it's important. But what we really lean on is the laughter and the inspiration and the interest of the other, you know, 35 adults in the school who are going to lead this groundswell of excitement and interest and help hold their more resistant peers accountable toward the more positive outcomes that we're working toward. Oh, definitely um, inspiration is contagious, so the more that you can foster that internally and let that kind of exude outwards to your market or to uh, your target audience can certainly help um, ease that adoption or, or encourage it. Uh, are there any, um, with that in mind, for those, who, for those individuals who may be the ones who aren't necessarily jumping on that bandwagon, so to speak, yet, and um, kind of embracing non-traditional learning, are, are there specific, are there any, like, misconceptions um, that, 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 you, that you come across about non-traditional learning, or, and is there a way that we can better tackle those? Well, I think for us specifically, um, this lack of awareness or recognition that our mental and emotional state influences our ability to receive and process information, to make strong decisions, this um, thought that, you know, I'm teaching core subjects, I'm here to teach fifth grade math, that's what I'm doing, and I'm not here to also play these other roles as mental health professional and guidance counselor and social worker. So, um, again, we are really going back to the data to show the effects of trauma on the brain and executive functioning and going back to um, longitudinal studies that show the effects of regular social and emotional learning on both poverty alleviation and academic outcomes. So um, that's really where we have been um, seeing the most traction is is relying heavily on the data. Do you find that in um, that the today's society particularly um, the things have evolved a little bit in the sense of um, looking when I'm looking back now and looking at my peers and young leaders that I know um, mental health is is definitely more of a prominent I issue than let's say it was when my parents went to school. Um, I feel that right now, um, in terms of self-esteem for young girls, um, for um, rate to depression and, and self-harm and suicide and things, our generation right now, um, I believe, has more um, experiences these things much earlier on and in a greater severity that might affect our learning or be more prominent in schools than may have been discussed 
um, perhaps a generation ago. Maybe still have happened, but like like you said, there's a little bit more of a straight boundary between school and personal and things like that. Do you find that it's more blended in today? Absolutely. It's so challenging to separate um, what's going on at home and what's going on at school or what's going on at home and what's going on at work because it all bleeds together. We all carry these emotional backpacks and mine might be heavier than yours on some days and yours might be heavier than mine on other days and it's our job to support one another to unpack these emotional backpacks in a structured way that don't overwhelm learning and don't overwhelm productivity, but allow us to do it in a way that is contained and effective and efficient so we can acknowledge what's in there or that we're even carrying them to begin with and then move through it. Um, but if we don't ever acknowledge the emotional backpack or provide a space for us to unload it, it just keeps getting heavier and heavier. That's a fantastic metaphor because with that in mind, it actually even helps to explain the importance of mental well-being in learning in the sense that if your backpack's so heavy that you're crumbling and in pain, the last, you won't be focusing on anything but that heavy backpack. The last thing in the world you'd be focusing on is learning math or calculating something because that backpack is, is crushing you. So it's important to start to ease that load as best as you can as teachers, as mentors and supporters and communities so that youth is able and uh, free to, to learn. Absolutely. Um, so looking at, when we are looking at young leaders and considering this emotional backpack that we have and that for the most part, we're going to carry with us throughout um, throughout our growth in school and as we enter into the workforce. Um, it seems to me that it's often more on the techniques we can learn to manage that emotional backpack rather than alleviate it altogether. So I, I don't know about you, but I feel like it, none of it will go completely away. I think it's more about being wise um, in managing it and ensuring that you never get too heavy of a load on you at one time. Um, looking at that a little bit further, um, for young leaders to, to, as we're progressing in our learning, what do you feel is more important to integrate? Is it more important to uh, increase skills-based learning, um, e practices of emotional well-being and self-care, or is it job experience and that experiential type of learning that's needed for youth? Um. I would take a step back and really explore the nexus between the two and how they intersect. So, for example, a lot of these skills that we're looking to cultivate, so stress management, the ability to be fully present, active listening, identifying emotions, managing them, communicating in a healthy way, collaborating, these are all skills that are best cultivated through experiences, through struggles, um, if we are never faced with a challenge that we have to work through to learn mechanisms to cope and to manage, then uh, we never have to flex those muscles. And so the opportunity to get that exercise mentally, um, to kind of flex the opportunity of checking in with ourselves and checking in with one another often happens 
when we are climbing those mountains, when we're faced with those challenges. Um, and so, yes, we can work to cultivate them through tools like Move This World, through meditation. Um, but, for example, if you're using Move This World tools every day, but then um, when there's a, a blowout that happens in your life or you're at a crossroads at work or at school and you're not able to call on that tool in your toolbox, then what's the point? So it's really about connecting um, the skills through the experiences. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate some of your, your thoughts today for Bridging the Gap. For our listeners out there, I would love to hear what you think. Uh, do you agree with some of Maya and Sarah's thoughts today? Do you have anything to add? Use the hashtag Bridging the Gap to join into the conversation. And uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts.